Have you ever gone to put on a hat only to find the head for a Japanese anime panda costume and thought to yourself, why'd I buy that? Then boy, do we have a show for you. It's Why'd I Buy That, the podcast where we explore and examine the impulses and influences behind the things we buy. In other words, we investigate all things advertising, the principles and pitfalls, the economics and execution, the stories and psychology behind ads in the world of advertising. I'm your great host, Ryan. And I'm your finger-licking good host, Abe. In this episode, we're going to talk about advertising mascots. We'll consume some oats, look breakfast cereal in the eye, and bury ourselves in self-rising controversy. But first, let's play a little game. That's right. It's game time. Abe, I am going to ask you some questions to see how well you know some of the most beloved advertising mascots of all time. Okay, just just some of the mascots, right? Not all of them. Yes. Okay, good. Let's let's go for it. Maybe in another episode we'll do a definitive list of the most beloved mascots. Uh, this is just some questions about some popular mascots. Good, good. Uh, and if you fail, it just means you're completely out of touch with pop culture. So no pressure. Okay, you ready? Ready. Okay. Question number one. What is the name of Pillsbury's mascot? Pillsbury Doughboy. No, that's not his name. Yeah. What's his What's his actual name? Oh, well. Pfft. What is the name of the Pillsbury Doughboy? Um, Leonard. No. <laughs> Leonard the Doughboy. His name is Poppin' Fresh. Okay, Poppin' Fresh. I've heard of that. Yeah. Question number two. What is Woodsy the Owl's most famous slogan? Woodsy the Owl. What is he on? What, uh, what product does he I think it's, endorse? I think it's like the Forest Service or something. Oh, um, yeah. Only... He's, wait, what? He's only, not Smokey the Bear, no. Forest Fires? That's Smokey the Bear. Woodsy uh, the Owl. His, favorite, his most famous... Who, something who. It's got who in it. Yeah, it does. Who are you to start a forest fire? <laughs> you don't have the privileges of that. No, Woodsy the Owl is most famous for saying, give a hoot, don't pollute. Okay. Although yeah. now apparently he has a different slogan, which is like, well, I can't even remember what it is. Uh, it's like it Sounds memorable. Yeah, it's not particularly memorable. Something about protect the land, lend a hand, protect the land, or something like that is what he says. All right. Question three. Which mascot started out as a talking banana but is now depicted as a human woman. Uh, as opposed to a non-human woman, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it could be a banana woman. Okay, sure. Okay, I'll give you that. The Chiquita banana woman. Yes, right? yes. Originally, originally, she was kind of this anthropomorphic banana woman. And then she and, grew legs. And then she turned into a human, yeah. yeah. Okay. What is the name of the Lucky Charms leprechaun? This is question number four. Uh... He's going to be Irish, right? Um, McGillicuddy. I don't know. No. His name is Sir Charms. So apparently he's been knighted. He's not just a leprechaun. He is a knight of the, the realm. The queen loves her cereal. <laughs> For your services to cereal kind. Yeah, right after Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yep. Okay, question five. Which famous news personality was the first person to play Ronald McDonald? Um... What's that guy's name? I got his picture in my head. Uh, Tom Brokaw. No, but that would have been awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know who. Willard Scott. He was the weatherman for years on Nobody the Today knows Show. Who Willard Scott is. He was. He was. That sounds like a made-up name. People love it's like it. a before, phony before name. Before Al Roker, there was Willard Scott. In someplace. Okay. Question six. What is Cap'n Crunch's first name? Charlie Chuck. 
Chuck Crunch? Chuck Crunch. No. His full name is Horatio P. Crunch. Okay. That, pff, yeah. I have gotten that one. Yeah. It's obvious. Come on. Uh, okay. Final question. Question seven. Name two company mascots for different brands that are married to each other. I want to say one of them is the Jolly Green Giant. No, uh, Elsie the cow from Board and Dairy and Elmer the cow from, or the bull from Elmer's Glue are apparently married. Uh, At some point- They're stuck together. Yeah, at some point in the Elsie the cow- See what I did there? Saga. I I did see what I did Glue pun. Glue pun, yeah. Uh, Elsie the cow was given a family. Elmer was her husband. And then when the company said, hey, we've got all these dairy products, let's make glue- uh, they said, let's just use Elmer, her husband, as our glue guy, and it became Elmer's glue. Okay, I didn't know that. So I, it sounds like I got one of the seven right. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, like you're not completely out of touch with pop culture. You're just kind of standing in an outhouse while everyone else is having a, a wild pop culture party. That's the metaphor. Well, for good or ill, advertising mascots are a big part of pop culture, not just in the United States, but all around the world. Yeah, I mean, you can tell by the fact that these characters have weird backstories and trivia about them. They're not just blank things. Uh, There's a lot to them, and they've been around for decades, enough to build up uh, stories and and weird dark secrets and mythology yeah i mean it's it's these are the the the, you know the greek mythology of our era are these advertising mascots well let's hop in our time machine as we often do i'm in the delorean again love that and i'm in the phone booth from bill and ted uh and we're gonna go back to 1877 your president is uh i think it's rutherford b hayes it is indeed vice president ulysses s grant no yes not in 1877 Yep. yep yep No. What? True story. Yeah. Maybe. Okay, maybe. No, you might be right. No, yeah, because his presidency came a little after that. You're yeah. right. You're right. Sorry. Uh, in those days, in the 1877 era, 1877s, in that day and age, oats were the hottest thing in food. It was the trend. Everyone wanted to start an oats company. There were just these oat pop-up you know, stores yeah. everywhere. Every corner. Yeah. It just, Somebody, it, you know, people go like, hey, I've got a great idea for a startup. Yeah. It's all about oats. Like they were the tech companies of the day. One just, one of these fellows was a, a guy named Hank Seymour, Henry Seymour. Uh, he had co-founded an oats company and was enjoying the oat lifestyle by reading the encyclopedia. Yeah, That's what you do when, when you've co-started an oats company. And you're living large on that oat money. Yeah, and you have just, time when the Encyclopedia Britannica guy knocks like, on your door. You're like, you know what? Give me I've got oats money, yeah. I can afford those, yeah. and I'm going to read every single one. In fact, we know he read most of them, at least because when he got to the Q volume, he found something that was well, very see, much his liking. Well, he bought that one first because it was the least expensive, because <laughs> it, was, it was the skinniest. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very short volume. Uh, well, Everybody's read Q. I mean, that's everybody. Sure. If you're going to read one encyclopedia volume, yeah. you're going to go with Q, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But when he was reading it, he found something that re- he really liked, something that just tickled his fancy to an extent seldom seen since. <laughs> it's okay. It was an article about the Quakers. Uh, that it's a religious movement that still, was still thriving at the time. Uh, although Seymour had, had, he hadn't met any Quakers, he'd read about them in this encyclopedia, and he liked the idea that they represented the virtues of goodness and wholesomeness. And thus, the Quaker Oats brand was born. To represent these virtues, they just had a picture of a generic Quaker man. Said, look, people will see him and they'll say, oh, goodness, virtue, wholesomeness, I'm buying those oats. 
Although for a time, they claimed that this man, this Quaker man, represented the most famous Quaker of all time, Richard Nixon. He really was a Quaker. That's not just a hilarious joke. That's a fun fact. And it is a hilarious joke. But no, it represented William Penn. Yes. Uh, Yeah. For a long time, you know, on their boxes, they'd have this Quaker and it was very obviously William Penn, the guy Pennsylvania was named after the, you know, the granddaddy of Quakerism. Um, The guy that pens were named after. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Another fun fact. That's not true. Um, You know, they went back and forth for a while, but today they're they're The company line is that he's just a generic Quaker man. He's not William Penn. And if you say anything about they, they William Penn, yeah, they get very, very upset. They throw oats in your face and yes. say, get out of our- All of their company employees walk around with a, with a pocket full of oats. <laughs> it's full of oats Just waiting, any, just waiting. moment, they'll spring it upon you, yeah. blind you with oats. Well, all this talk of oats has made me want to hang out with Wilford Brimley. So let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear about Liberty Mutual and how they're going to take care of your diabetes and give you some oatmeal. And we'll also talk about uh, why mascots work. And we're back with Why Did I Buy That? Talking about advertising mascots. The Quaker Man was the first trademarked cereal mascot in America and one of the first brand mascots in the world. And today there are lots of other uh, mascots around, like uh, from the Energizer Bunny to the Snuggle Bear to the Pep Boys and hundreds and hundreds of others of mascots that are just ubiquitous in advertising. But why is this the case? Why are mascots yeah, why so do, popular? Why do brands love mascots? Well, they're the perfect way to personify your brand. You can wrap up kind of all the image and feelings and energy of your brand in this mascot. Yeah, much like the Quaker Oats people wanted to convey this idea of wholesomeness and honesty with the image of a Quaker instead of just saying, hey, we're wholesome and honest. Well, like, they tried that first, just yeah, yelling it. Just, it was just on the cans, like, we're wholesome and honest, eat oats. People and didn't just, yeah. believe it. But if you just put that picture on there, oh, it's a Quaker. He's obviously wholesome and honest. Therefore, the oats behind him are also wholesome yeah, and honest. Yeah, they outsold. There was another image of a uh, uh, prison escapee oats, yeah. and people just didn't, they didn't buy it. He didn't look wholesome. Yeah, uh, it was oh. the broken chains and, and yeah. orange jumps. It just didn't do Shackles. it. Shackles, yeah, it was horrible. Or there's McDonald's. They wanted to convey the idea of fun with, of course, their mascot, Ronald McDonald. Yeah, I mean, uh, by making a brand into a person, you're simply sending a visual message that, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words, and that's really illustrated by these mascots. You can convey emotions, ideas, concepts uh, much more quickly and much more simply than you could just by talking about them. Another brand mascot, of course, is Mr. Clean. Uh, he started off, he actually, the idea initially was he was going to be a genie uh, before he became just a regular bald man, kind of portly and maybe a little bit short. I don't know if he's portly. He's pretty muscular. Well, he's stout, a, I should say. Trim, I, I apologize, trim guy. Mr. Clean. Yeah, yeah he's, he's in shape. Yeah. Uh, a little bit stout, a little bit short, but he's got that clean, crisp white shirt on him. Yeah, I mean, and, and he's kind of been an iconic figure for so long because his design actually works really well. He's portrayed so simply and efficiently. There's no gimmicks, uh, you know, wild hippie hair to confuse things. Uh, he's just how a cleaning product should be. Simple, easy, to the point, uh, blunt almost. Uh, you know, those are, the, those are the virtues of a good cleaning product. We mentioned Elsie the cow earlier, and Elsie actually represented not just Borden Dairy, but the entire dairy industry. Elsie um, originated in the early 1900s, and this is a time when folks didn't want to drink milk because there was a fear that there were diseases in milk. 
Yeah, there were rumors at the time that there was tuberculosis in dairy milk. If you got your milk from a dairy, uh, you could get tuberculosis. People were freaking out. Uh, and the dairy people were saying, no, we, we need to bring people back. You know, this is the beginning of really the commercial age uh, with product branding and things. And they said, no, we need to bring people back to our product. Otherwise, milk isn't going to be a thing anymore. And then what will people put on their cereal? Borden Dairy had adopted pasteurization, which takes care of those diseases and concerns that people had. They were one of the very first adopters of pasteurization. And, and they knew their product was safe. They also knew people would still avoid milk unless doctors gave them the okay. Yeah. And so the result was, okay, how are we going to appeal to people and get these doctors on board and say, okay, pasteurization is good and this milk is fine? Well, what they devised was a campaign of letters uh, sent to doctors and other people from Elsie, this kind of laughing, smiling, friendly cow uh, who was just telling people how awesome milk was and yeah. how healthy it was. The hardest part was finding a cow that had good enough penmanship, that yeah. her letters could be read. Yeah. It, was, it went through thousands. Yeah. Eventually, they just had to tape a pen to a hoof and just, <laughs> you know, let's see what happened. Hope. Hope for the, the best. best. I think they actually used Elmer's glue for that. This yeah. Is, uh, fixing the pen. Yeah, it was kind of ironic. The William yeah. pen to the hoof of yeah. the cow. And you can see how all of these mascots just really come yeah. together. It was a clean Perfect, beautiful pen, synergy. A very clean pen. Um, yeah. By giving their mascot a name and a friendly, non-threatening face, it was easier for Borden Dairy to get doctors and the public on their side and make milk the popular drink that it is today. Which, of course, does lead us to cereal. How can you separate the two? Because there are so many cereal mascots. I mean, perhaps more than any other industry, cereal is where you find the best mascots, the icons, the, the, the mascots you want to hang out with and just, you know, spend some time together with. Yeah, in fact, if you crack open your Encyclopedia Britannica or Wikipedia today, it lists more than 60 different cereal mascots. I couldn't even name 60 cereals. But they all, all of these have mascots. It's obvious that cereal mascots are so popular that there's so many of them is because they appeal to children. Uh, children, you know, are the primary target audience for most cereals. And so it makes sense that there are cartoony, fun characters uh, designed to appeal to them associated with these products. Yes, and these mascots show up in ads that are placed before and after and during children's programming. Cartoons and uh, other shows that children watch. That's where these advertisers play their mascots. Yeah, well, what better way to appeal to kids than to animate characters, give them personality, and show them during a cartoon show? It just feels like another show. Uh, it feels like, you know, these these characters are on the same level as your favorite cartoon characters, My Little Ponies or Sophia the First, whatever, whatever you might be watching. There's even more to the story here, though. Uh, a study from Cornell University, alma mater of Andy Bernard from, from The Office. The yeah. Office, of course, uh, showed that positions of cereal boxes on grocery store shelves allows the characters on those boxes to make eye contact with people passing by, children and adults. Yes. In fact, cereal boxes are intentionally designed to make eye contact with you. A cereal marketed to adults uh, is usually positioned higher up on the shelves, and the eyes are designed to look directly at you. So straight line uh, eyesight, line of line of sight for the, for the adult cereals. And uh, cereals marketed to kids tend to look down. So little kids are down on the ground. They're, they're, they're going to be looking they're up crawling, at the cereal boxes. Rolling. Yeah, and so the kids' cereals, their eye line is down. Pointed downward. Yeah. Does this eye line matter? Does making eye contact with a box influence your purchasing decisions? You bet it does. 
Yeah, the study found that when you make eye contact with a cereal box, your trust for that brand when goes up. When you look longingly yeah. into Tony the Tiger's eyes. You trust him 16% more. And your feeling of connection to that brand, to Tony. to Tony and the brand, goes up by 28%. So not only are serial mascots personifying a brand and giving it a personality, they're also using their evil cartoon eyes to influence our children to buy things, to ask for things, yeah. to make us pay for things. And so to answer the question we posed by the show, why'd I buy that? The next time you're looking at a box of weird sugary cereal and you think, why'd I buy that? It's because it looked at you and made eye contact and you, you. B- developed an emotional connection. Uh, it's really a fascinating phenomenon uh, to think about and, and to understand next time you're in the cereal aisle, you know, look at, see where they're looking. Speaking of eye contact, Abe is, seems to be making strange, uncomfortable, unblinking eye contact with me. <laughs> and I'm going to step out for a minute. Unblinking eye contact. Uh, yeah, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we will talk about controversial mascots. And we're back with Why Did I Buy That? Talking today about what else advertising mascots you guessed it while most mascots are pretty inoffensive some of them have caused a bit of controversy yes and we need to kind of address this if we're talking about advertising mascots because there are quite a few that are we need the to take an of unblinking approach yes this is our unblinking view our unblinking eye contact with controversy yeah. um <laughs> Aunt Jemima, tell us Aunt about Jemima, her. Aunt Jemima, she's one of our oldest advertising mascots. Uh, she first appeared in 1889 when a couple of guys named Charles Rutt and Charles Underwood developed a new kind of self-rising flower. They decided to name it Aunt Jemima's Recipe after a song from a popular minstrel show that they had seen in the 1870s. And if you don't know what a minstrel show is... It's a type of performance consisting of skits and songs and dances and variety acts that typically make fun of African-Americans and, at the time, often used actors in blackface. So, with that as source material, Aunt Jemima was not really off to a good start, or at least in today's light. To portray Aunt Jemima, they used a lady named Nancy Green, who was an actress who had been a slave. So, not only does this does this character have its roots in these minstrel shows? It also, you know, originally it, depicted a woman who had suffered slavery. So they're so using a literal, yes, a, a former slave. Yes, and, and, and she portrayed the character not just on the box, but in person for over 30 years until she died. And that was her job. She was Aunt Jemima. And in all this time, during this portrayal, Aunt Jemima, played by Nancy Green, was shown as a mammy, which was a stereotype that you'd see in a lot of pop culture at the time, including uh, the movie Gone with the Wind. Yeah, there's a very clear mammy archetype, which is this this kind of matronly uh, servant who kind of takes care of the family, loves them, and doesn't really have any personality outside yeah, no that servant role. No ambitions beyond... Yes. It teases the idea that slavery is acceptable that household servants and slaves uh, were happy. Uh, and it's, it's this myth that even... Perpet- yeah, slavery didn't need today. to change. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing wrong with uh, it. And it became more and more uncomfortable, this combination of using a former slave, the mammy archetype, and the minstrel show stuff became more and more uncomfortable. And as the civil rights movement started to gain steam in the 50s, more and more people were saying, this is not okay. Uh, we need to change this. At this point, Quaker Oats... That's right. They're back, bringing their Odie fingers. heard the last yeah, of them. They're, they, just when you think they're gone from a conversation, they just come right in, throwing oats at you. Quaker Oats owned this Aunt Jemima character. They'd stopped using actors, but in response to increasing unrest, they started to change the character to make her less like the mammy archetype. 
By the late 1960s, they'd finally gotten rid of the bandana headscarf thing that she had originally worn, and she was starting to wear a headband. They also started making her more youthful. And then in finally, in 1989, they went ahead and gave her pearl earrings and started saying, oh, Aunt Jemima is a working professional grandmother. That's their kind of official description of her. So she's not a yeah. kitchen servant. Yeah. Uh, Downplay the servant role She's a completely. working Working woman, professional woman, uh, she's uh, a grandmother. Another one, Miss Chiquita Banana, uh, has also been criticized. Um, this mascot still exists, but it's kind of been soft-pedaled. It's not as popular as Yeah, you don't, you don't see her as much. She's just kind of on the sticker. She doesn't appear in commercials as much. Um, you know, kind of just taking her out of the limelight a little bit to, to soften that, that controversy. And so, yeah, a lot of these mascots are still around who have these origins uh, in, in racism and, and stereotypes. Uh, but some of them have gone away, uh, like the Frito Bandito, who played on Mexican stereotypes. He was popular in the 60s. You'd see him an animated Frito Bandito in commercials. After the Mexican-American Defamation Committee requested he change, eventually he was retired. These are all cases where brands need to weigh, on the one hand, their brand equity and longstanding traditions with what is uh, appropriate and sensitive in today's culture. So if you're planning on creating a mascot for your brand, it helps, obviously, to think about how is this going to be used? What is this going to look like 10, 15, 20 years down the road? Am I basing this in any stereotypes? Uh, Do I have any cultural issues that I need to be aware of for my brand? Mascots are still thriving in advertising. They're great. They're a great way to personify your brand and to make it friendlier, more approachable, uh, kid-friendly even. Uh, Not all of the mascots are successful, but there's some good examples out there like Flo from Progressive or the Geico Gecko that are popular and well-liked. Yeah, I mean, auto insurance mascots are really the new serial mascots. I mean, you know, you're probably going to see a, a Count Chocula-themed auto insurance ad it's just a uh, coming at, Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, he'll just around the corner. Yeah, and, and who wouldn't love that? Well, that's our show for today. Why'd I Buy That is produced by Saxton Horn Communications. Our producer is Justin, takes a licking and keeps on ticking dial. Cover art by Eric. It ain't easy being cheesy. DeWall. If you have comments on today's episode, questions about advertising, ideas for future episodes, or would like to tell Ryan that just because he's flaky doesn't mean he'd make a great serial mascot, please visit our website at saxtonhorne.com. Until next time, we wish you plenty of oatmeal, tuberculosis-free milk, and an extended session of unblinking eye contact with Count Chocula. This is Why'd I Buy That. Thank you for listening. Thank you.